uh, the Bible, to God's Word, and uh, we are going to be uh, kind of dipping into a few of the early chapters from the book of Acts. You'll find the place we're starting on page 1094 of the church uh, Bibles nearby, if you want to follow the reading when it comes, though it'll probably be up on the screen as well. The church that made a difference. That's what we're on today. And it's really um, the beginning of a new series, although there are some connections, as always, with what's gone before. This, this idea of, of making a difference is going to be our theme for our learning together, really, in different kinds of ways all through uh, the next term. A few weeks back in the summer, we were thinking about those early verses from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught his disciples. Uh, and there we were uh, realizing that Well, Jesus had this amazing vision, didn't he, for the people who follow him. And his his vision, uh, his purpose for them was that they were to be like salt and light. Do you remember that? We looked at those a few weeks ago. If you missed that, if you're away, we can pick it up online. Uh, There's a couple of messages there about being salt and being light. And we thought then how just amazing it was that Jesus expected those who followed him to really affect the, the, the world around them. You know, we were thinking that salt, both salt and light, well, they certainly make a difference. That's what they're there for. You know, you've got, if you're dark and you turn the light on, it's a pretty obvious difference, isn't it? It affects the light, shines, it affects everything around it. And the same is with salt. And we're, in this term, going to be digging into this vision, this purpose. That's the big idea. This, this purpose Jesus had for us as his people to make a difference. We want to understand it, to get it into our heads. We, we want to kind of think about how it could be true for us. We want to pray for each other in it. We want to challenge each other about it in house groups or in personal conversations. We don't just want to know stuff in our heads. We, we want to really be like that in our lives, don't we? Really to be the people Jesus wants us to be. He made it pretty clear. It could be exciting, could be challenging. We don't want it to be just a new fad or a, a quick fix or, a, a, you know, this is the latest thing that we're all banging on about in Portswood. But, but really something that is much more than that. We want it to be a, a journey together in our understanding, in our following Jesus, in our life together. So our away day, our refresh day on October the 25th, remember that, the refresh day? Not time for the video now, but... I know it's past the deadline, but it's, if you want to come, do book. It, it's, it's possible, I think. You might not get the sandwich you want, but you can, you know, you'll get something if you book. Even if we have to make it ourselves, or you bring your own. But, you know, do come. Uh, especially if you're a student and you miss the deadline, well, book in on the refresh day. You'll find information on the Portswood, uh, web, uh, the Portswood uh, Facebook page there. And there's a video you can watch and you can go to the form. I think. I think the link is still up. But if it isn't, ask us and we'll make sure you can come. We'll look at it in house groups and we'll look at, a bit, a look at it on Sundays as well. Now, uh, welcome if this is your first visit. I'm sure Dan did that already, but I was getting a drink of water and stuff, so I missed the beginning. Uh, and if this is your first visit or you're new to us, well, uh, you might like to know that w- what we usually do is we follow a book of the Bible in our, our talks on Sunday mornings. And that we usually do that consecutively. But um, for this series, we're tracing this theme of making a difference and we're looking at different parts of the new testament places where making a difference is unpacked in the teaching there 
All the time we're adjusting our thinking. We want to be adjusting our living in line with God's word. And so we're going to see uh, from the New Testament, like today, that there were churches there that really made a difference. We'll be seeing uh, in the next, next week or two some individuals who just were able to make a, a, a tremendous difference or groups. And then we'll be looking at some of the teaching in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, to whole communities of believers in the, in the letters uh, where they're all being helped to make a difference, either individually or together. So that's kind of where we're going through, well, up until Christmas, really. And we uh, look forward. I hope you are able to join us on the journey and that we'll learn a lot as we go. So Jesus had this big aim, as I said, for his followers to make a difference in the world. He didn't want us just to be people who hold, held on to a certain set of beliefs. But people who, yes, yeah, sure, believe things. But those things that we believe make an, such an impact on our lives that it's making an impact in the rest of the world. So did this happen? Is it possible? Did it happen in the early days? Did Jesus' words come true? What kind of difference did they make then or could we make now? Well, we're going to look into the way this worked out through them in the very early days of the church. That's where in these early chapters of Acts this morning. So I want to read a few verses uh, from Acts chapter 2 and into Acts chapter 3 um, just to, to kind of get a flavor of what this is about. You'll see on the sheet that it says it's uh, three whole chapters. It's kind of drawn from there, but we're not going to read all three chapters. So we're going to start at chapter 2, verse 41. And we're picking up the account just after the Apostle Peter, one of the disciples, on the very first day when the Holy Spirit came and the church kind of formed, really, in Jerusalem. A whole great crowd of people gathered together. And Peter, the Apostle Peter, one of the disciples, explained to them all about Jesus and and how it was he'd been raised from the dead. And then verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message, that's Peter's, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then it tells us about this community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. It's at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold I I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. 
And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus. This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he'd foretold through the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. It's exciting account. You can read it on later. And I encourage you, when you get home, maybe to do that. Let's think firstly then, first of all, about the difference they make. What kind of difference are they making here? Well, here's this new community of people who've believed in Jesus, who, as it says, have, have accepted the message. Actually, the word is they welcome the message. The, the, the truth that Peter told them, they kind of welcome that into their experience. And these early verses tell us what they were like. It tells us about how they were a community around the truth that they believed in. They continued, it says, in the Apostles' Doctrine. There was this social element as well. They were together. They shared life together. And much more. There was an amazing supernatural aspect in that it says awe was upon them. And and as we shall see, God was doing some really quite amazing things around them. And all of this is happening in public. It's out there on the streets of Jerusalem. It's all happening around the temple area. Actually on the outer courts of the temple and the way in. There's this place you refer to there as as Solomon's Colonnade. That was like an address, a street, a part nearby to the temple or even within one of the temple courts. I didn't look it up, but I could have done that. And you can, someone can tell you exactly where it was, probably. And verse 47 says they're enjoying favor of all the people. That's an interesting phrase. All the people is a phrase that keeps coming up. Again and again, these these chapters. New people are being saved, it says. People are coming to know Jesus for themselves. Something is happening, and people in Jerusalem are aware of it. And it's good. And then there's this incident with the, the beggar at the temple gate. And again, did you notice all the people are touched by that in verse 11? While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished, came running to them. Must have been quite, a, quite an event, but you know, that's kind of how it happens in, in you know, societies where people are a bit more communal and it's the weather's better and you're outside and you know, something goes on, people come. So it's happening in Hong Kong Square, isn't it? People are coming, something's going on, something's occurring, all the people are there. Not absolutely everyone, but you know, the idea is making a big impact. 
So with this church, their life, their experiences of God's power, their understanding of the truth of Jesus as it's growing, it's seen and it's known by all the people around them. Verse 12, we know people were asking questions that this event prompted. We know that because Peter begins his, his um, uh, talk by saying, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? He could see that they were asking questions. He has to explain it. Why he explains. Now, there's a lot that's going on in this incident, and I, I'd love to have more time to do it because it really is a truly fascinating, I think, working example of what a sign and a wonder looked like at that time. But uh, we're going to just dip into it. But verse 21 tells us again, for, chapter 4, verse 21 says, or is it, sorry, chapter 3, verse 21 says, all the people, um, no, I think it's, sorry, it's not 3, verse 21. Let's get this accurate. Chapter 4, verse 21. Yeah, afterwards it says uh, the, when the authorities got to know about it, their problem was they couldn't decide how to punish the apostles. We'll come on to that in a minute. Because all the people were praising God for what happened. All the people praising God. It's all done in public. If you look, look into chapter 5, verse 12, it says the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the people used to hang out together in Solomon's colonnade, there it was. Verse 13, they were highly regarded by the people. Now, there were some with reservations. If you read these chapters on, uh, there's an, uh, quite an uh, astonishing incident when God's holiness is really revealed in a, quite a shocking way. And you read of it in, in chapter 5 with the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And at that point, quite a few people thought, "Woo, you know, I've got a few reservations. They were fearful at the holiness of this God who, who could work also in judgment as he does in that incident. You can read that for yourself. There was a kind of fear among all the people. But where did that come from? Well, if you read the story, you see that the, the believers were in awe of God. <laughs> the believers realized we can't mess. We can't be lying to the Holy Spirit. We mustn't treat God as if you know, he, he's not going to bother if we sin. And all the believers were, were kind of in awe and, and a little bit, woo, you know, understand what happened if you know the story. It involved the death of two people, but you can read that in Acts chapter 5. And the believers were thinking, woo. But the rest of the community was, was also thinking, woo. <laughs> Why was that? Because they were out there. They were together. You know, they, it wasn't a secret. What they were, were they were before all of the community. That's what's happening. They're really making a difference. Jerusalem is impacted by the presence of this community of Jesus' people. But it's not all straightforward, is it? It's not all kind of honey and roses. Look at chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, they're the religious authorities and the people in power, They'd even got their own police force, the temple guard. Came up to Peter, so there's soldiers involved, and John. While they were speaking to the people, verse 2, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. 
And if you read it through, you read through chapter 4 and you read on into chapter 5, you'll see that this incident also led to threats, to arrests. All the people were asking questions and, and Peter was answering it. They wanted to know about Jesus or they told them about Jesus. But there were other people asking other kind of questions. The kind of questions that get asked and where you're encouraged to give answers by electric probes and those kind of paraphernalia that was also happening because the authorities weren't happy about it but still the disciples take the opportunity to answer them and they're imprisoned they're released by an angel you read in chapter 5 then they're rearrested the next day they're threatened they face the fury of powerful people if you read the, the chapter you'll see that some of them were intending to kill them but because of the intervention of a wise man called Gamaliel, they were let go, although they just flogged them. He just says, so they flogged them and let them go. You think, oh, well, that's all right. Would you like to be flogged? I don't think so. It was tough. It's tough. So we have a church, let's summarize, a church that's making a difference. A whole city that apparently is aware of them. We see many people coming to know Jesus. We see a sense of favor with the ordinary people, but we see this sinister challenge to the authorities, which makes it quite painful, quite literally, for the apostles, Peter and John and others. But they're making a difference, aren't they, in Jerusalem. Is it possible for a church to be like that? It must be. A church that can make a difference as people come to know Jesus. A, a church that can make a difference as others see that God is real and doing something. But a church that because be, they're telling people that Jesus is the king, that God is real, that he's doing something, might lead to trouble for some of them. Could we be like that? Could the churches in our city be like that? Well, let's look at a second, my second main kind of area, which is this. We've seen the kind of difference they made. Let's ask another question, which is why? Why did they make this difference then? Where did that come from? There are a couple of big things here. First of all, it's because Jesus is doing something, isn't it? Jesus is doing something. That's why Jesus is at work. See, there's more going on here than just what, what, what the disciples do or what they're about. Jesus is working through them. Signs and wonders are mentioned. Things, unusual things, things that could not be explained other than that God had done them were happening around this community of people. And as I said, chapter 3 almost gives us a kind of worked example of what was going on. It's interesting. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking it, but... Um, yeah, this isn't a healing service, is it? This isn't, you know, um, I must be a bit careful because, uh, well, you know, I know like Victory do it, we don't do it. But you know, th th this isn't like saying, you know, a big poster with, Peter's in town, come along and get your wonder. Nothing wrong with that, I'm not knocking that, but that's not what was happening here. What this is, is just an ordinary day. This is just Peter and John doing what they did every day at the time of prayer, going into the temple. That's what's happening. It's part of everyday life. They see this man. 
this man asks them for something, they stop and look at him, they focus on him, on his needs, they make him look at them, and they quite simply say, we haven't got any money, but we would like to give you what we've got. And what we've got is Jesus. And we'd like to give you him, and we'd like you to be healed in his name. And that's what happens. Jesus works through them. And there's this, this, it just seems like a basic, almost like a, an overflow of God's presence, isn't it? It's this, this generosity of, we've got Jesus and we'd rather like him to touch your life. In his name, be healed. Now, I'm not saying we should do it like that, but it's an interesting uh, example, isn't it? And this, uh, there's this generous, generous overflow of God's presence, of God's power by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work. Jesus is at work in them by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit kind of overflows out of them. And that kind of thing happens a lot in these chapters. But the key thing is all connected to Jesus. Jesus, it says here, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus, who is the Christ, who's God's King, the Messiah. Jesus from Nazareth, the one you've all heard about. You know, the one who was died, died, you crucified on a cross. Actually, he had his name kind of written above the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. That Jesus, that one. In his name, you be healed. His name, his character, his authority is seen in this loving work. As God heals this disabled man and he sets off on his praise dance. Must have been an amazing account. Amazing thing to witness. Jesus does something through them. That's what's happening. Jesus is doing something through his people. But there's more. That's one thing about how it was making the impact. Because Jesus was doing things through his people. But there's more. Because the second thing is, it needs to be explained. You see, people, Peter realizes that people need to know what's going on. They need to have their questions answered. You know, you can imagine, they were like, quite literally, open mouthed. It says they were amazed. This man, they all knew him. He'd been there for years. He'd been sitting at the gate. Here he is. He's dancing in the temple. And he's going, what? Ooh, you know, you can just, and, and, and it's that that Peter says, listen, I need to tell you something, God. I need to tell you why it is. Because you're all thinking it was us. Let me tell you, it wasn't us. It was Jesus. He tells them about Jesus. He tells them that Jesus has done this. That it's faith in Jesus. He tells them that Jesus is the one that God sent to rescue us. That Jesus is God's sent Messiah. That Jesus is the one who has died and, and that in fact they killed, he tells them, and was raised from the dead. He tells them that Jesus is the one who comes into their lives. He says, God will send you Jesus. I love that thing in the song, isn't it? When it talks about, I'm so glad you're in my life. And that's what Peter tells them. If they repent and believe that this Jesus is the one who heals people. He's the one who brings God presence, God's presence into our experience. They needed to know this. And Peter needed to tell them. See that? Jesus does something through them and it needs to be explained. And that explanation, Peter telling them, is what leads to the confrontation. That's why they end up being flogged. 
Because the authorities say, authorities, I don't think, I must check more carefully, I don't think the beef was, will you please stop healing people in Jesus' name? They were saying, stop talking about Jesus. Stop telling people that Jesus is the Messiah. If you don't stop telling Jesus is the Messiah, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, then we're sorry, but you're in trouble. Because not only was Jesus doing something but his, through his people, but his people were explaining it, telling people. And chapter 5, verse 42, the very last chapter of the verse of the, this section, ends up making it very clear that they didn't stop. See, verse, chapter four, verse 42, chapter 5, day after day, this is after they were released from prison and stuff, Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So here's this powerful, powerful combination. The Lord doing things through them, touching people's lives, changing them, showing his power, healings, miracles, whatever it was, God was doing it. But not just that. Those things were signs that point to Jesus And the second thing is, the second part of the powerful combination is, there needs to be an explanation. People need to be willing to say, this is what Jesus does. I can tell you about him. Do you want to know? I wonder if we can start thinking about what that might look like in your life. If Jesus did things, actually if you notice the things he did, and other people saw them, and we were able to say, actually, that was Jesus. Can I tell you a bit about him? Because there are more miracles, I suspect, in our lives than we may realize. I'll tell you a couple of stories. Well, well I'll tell you what, won't we? And Ian, knows Ian Pitt was preaching here, or leading the reflection on Thursday. We all know Ian suffers um, serious limitations with a breathing issue. Those of us who were there on Thursday, did we know that? Was that seen in the way Ian spoke? No. I said to him afterwards, how did, you, how did you do that? I said to him, he said, I don't know. I said, almost as a joke, well, it must have been the Holy Spirit's anointing on you. I think it was. Jesus did something, enabled Ian, and Ian was telling me every time, despite his need for oxygen and other things, when he gets an opportunity to speak, the Lord just does it, gives him the power. Jesus does that. Iris and I visited somebody. Remember that time, Iris? We visited a, a lady in the church who was in great trouble, great distress, an old lady. And afterwards, we just prayed with her and asked the Lord to touch her, and we left. And, and her family phoned up Iris, didn't, they, didn't she, they, they, Iris, and said, what did you do? And I'm sure Iris said, or perhaps, perhaps I should have said, you know, that wasn't us. Jesus did that. Jesus does things. But how does that happen, you might say? How, you know, how can we live like that? That seems like a big ask. Can we be like that? Well, we can't, actually, and neither could the early church do it. Because it's a really interesting event that happens at the heart of their pressure. When they're right under the, you know, when it's the most difficult, they get together in chapter 4 and they pray. And we read the prayer they prayed in chapter 4, verse 24. And when they pray, they quote Psalm 2, the psalm we were thinking about earlier. I'm not going to go into all the details of that. I, I wasn't going to anyway, and there's not time, if and if I, even if I was. I want to pick out a, a certain thing out of it. 
There's a lot in the prayer. It tells us how they understand where they were, how they were in the line of God's purposes. That's why they pray Psalm 2. But the main thing I want to say here is look at verse 29 and 30. What do they ask God for when they pray? Verse 29. There's two prayer requests. One's in verse 29. Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Prayer request number one. Lord, help us to speak your word, to keep going boldly. Prayer request number two is in verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Enable your servants to speak your word with boldness, number one. Number two, stretch out your hand to heal and do what you will do, miraculous signs or whatever, through your servant Jesus. So how does it happen? It happens because God does it. God does it. They ask God to enable them to keep speaking, to keep explaining, and they ask God to do what he will do as well. He's the one that enables them to speak. He's the one who does the amazing things. They ask him, and he fills them with his Holy Spirit. It says there, after they prayed, verse 31, the place where they were meeting was shaken. It's the physical place. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They ask him, and he fills them with his Holy Spirit. And they just carry on, making a difference. So, could we make this kind of difference? Well, if it's God who does it, whether it's the enabling of us as we ask him, or the doing particular things in people's lives, whatever that may be, then he's no different now to the way he was then, is he? He's the eternal God. Jesus Christ, it says in Hebrews, is the same yesterday, today, forever. So it must be possible. Could we overflow like Peter and John did? with that beggar could we have eyes to see people and to see their needs in a way that means we offer them jesus when they ask for something else Uh, you know i don't just mean you know when a beggar asks you for money on the street although that could be one example but all through our lives i suspect there are times with friends with relatives with work colleagues neighbors or whatever when you're aware that that in, in sharing whatever it is you're talking about, the person is kind of asking you for something. And you often think, oh, I'll pray for you. Well, why not? Say, well, I could pray for you now if you like. I can't, I can't help you, but I think Jesus might be able to. Well, I know Jesus can. See, I'm a bit cautious as a witness, me, but, you know. I need to pray that I'll be more emboldened. So I will. When could I pray for someone? Now, it's not all the time. It's not everyone. You know, I don't think Peter and John stopped with every beggar that asked them for money and said, okay, well, who? Although a lot of healings took place. But they knew when it was right. And they took the opportunity. They saw that God would do something, or they trusted him to do something, and then they were willing to give the explanation. You see, that incident tells us that it's not about them, is it? And so often we get all uptight and we think, oh, how am I going to do this? It's all about me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about the person's need. 
So how could we in our lives get to a point where, if you like, our natural way is to respond by, I'd like to point you to Jesus, that he could help you. Do we expect the Lord to do anything out there? You know, it's all right in here, isn't it? We've got the doors shut, although they can see in. That's one improvement. I suppose we could open them and go outside. It's all right in here, but what about out there? What about like the early church out there in the equivalent of Jerusalem, in Solomon's colonnade, in the university, in your, uh, your home, or wherever you do your stuff, whatever, wherever you live and shop and be and all of that? See, the early church didn't have an in here. <laughs> they had that room that they all prayed in, but they were out there with everyone else. Could we live that way? Well, let's pray like they did. Let's start, maybe start the day asking the Lord to do something that day and to be open to what he might do during that day. To pray that what he does in and through you and me may cause people to ask questions, but also to pray, certainly in my case and yours, I'm sure, that that we'd be more willing (laughs) to give the explanation to the questions that they're asking, even if they don't express them quite like that. We can ask him to enable us to speak boldly. It's interesting, you see, the early church had to ask for that. You know, they were trained by Jesus himself, weren't they? (laughs) The the 12 disciples, 11 of them left and the others, they'd actually been on missions with Jesus where they were shown exactly how to heal the sick and, you know, raise the dead and and, and cast out demons and declare the good news of the kingdom. They'd all all done a three-year apprenticeship with Jesus. But here they are, a few weeks later, asking God to enable them to be bold. Now, if they had to ask for that, hey, you know... Don't we (laughs) so much more need to do that? To ask for that help from him to say what we need to say and also to ask him to act and for us to be aware of what he can do and will do. Because there are times, you know, when we just need to explain it, when we just need to put it into words. You know, we do loads of good stuff, maybe in our lives, in the church, in the projects, in social action, some of us and all of that. We might see little miracles But we do need to be ready and able to say, you know, it's not actually about us, really. This is about Jesus. It's what he's done. So can I just leave us with a challenge? This week, let's pray that prayer in Acts 4. Those two prayer requests. Lord, enable me to speak your word with boldness. Lord, would you stretch out your hand and do something? that will point people to Jesus. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let's then go with what he does, big or small, and uh, share it with each other next week maybe, or in our house groups as we talk it through a bit more. May God help us to be a church that makes a difference. A difference that's there as people come to know Jesus. A difference that's there as we have favor among people because they know what we're about, even though it may lead to opposition from some who won't like it. May we know what it is to be a community where Jesus is doing things. And may, may we know also the opportunity to explain what he's doing and point people to him that will be filled with the Holy Spirit and he'll be glorified. Amen.